I'm like, people can't hear anything. Hey, listen, before we dismiss our kids, she gets one more chance. See, between you and Rob, you started this thing, and, and here's, here's the problem I have with both of you guys, is that you started this thing, and now I have to pay for it. Hey, kids, you are dismissed for Sunday school. Our nursery is open. So, hey, uh, before I pray and begin, I wanted to thank you guys. Last week I shared with you guys kind of a, a dream I have about a picnic pavilion over here. And with that, I got several emails, some different contacts. We're trying to work some things, um, whether it's getting that pavilion from over the Beckett uh, Country Club. And we've got, now we've got connections in the township and zoning and some different people who know different people. And we're gonna figure this out. So one way or another, something's gonna happen over there. I don't know what it's gonna look like, but we're gonna do something. So um, I'm excited for that. Thank you for responding. Um, right after service, I need probably 10 guys who are super ripped and muscular, like Eddie. So I'll be one, and then Eddie will be two. Who's gonna be three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten? Mike's in, Len's in, look at these guys, they're just coming out of everywhere. We're gonna set up some tables real quick, and Ken is gonna tell us where we need to set tables up for the Crown of Beauty. So we're, we've got Arlene, knowing Arlene, she's got a, like a schematic. Ah, there it is. Yeah. Arlene never disappoints. I know, I know what I'm going to get. So we've got a little, but it'll take us just a few minutes. And then, guys, if anyone wants to go, we're going to go to the Woodstown Diner. And I'm going to convince Len to buy us all breakfast. So, um, but listen, let me, let me pray for us, and then we will begin from there. Dear Holy Father, Lord, I thank you for this day. And, Lord, we come before you. And like Bob said, I, and in such a good way, I'm overwhelmed. Lord, we live in a world where we're overwhelmed by all sorts of things that are negative. Lord, it's wonderful to be overwhelmed by a Heavenly Father who adores us and loves us and cares for us and loves us to such an extent that He would kill His own Son for us, Lord, and resurrect Him, Lord. And we thank You, Lord. We praise You. We are overwhelmed. And as we open up your word today, I pray that you would ignite a fire in our lives, Lord. Um, you're not done. You still want to move in your people, Lord. And so, God, I pray that we would put the kindle in place, that we would put the wood in place, that you would breathe your Holy Spirit upon it. And so, God, we thank you for this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Hey, so uh, I've told many of you guys, like I, I grew up playing soccer and, and little kid high school, college. One of the things I loved about soccer is it exposed me to people from all over the world. Um, I've played soccer with guys from England, from Italy, from Spain, Brazil, Chile, El Salvador, Ireland, Scotland, all over the place. And it was always wonderful to play with different people and hear different ways and doing different things. And I remember I was playing, I usually played in a position they would call in the central midfield. So I'm usually like the defensive line, then the midfielders and in the forwards. And I would either play up top or I'd play in that middle. And the middle guys got to cover a lot of ground back and forth. And the important thing about the middle guys is it's the guys behind you that tell you where to go because they see the whole field. And so they'll yell out different commands and that. So I remember one time uh, years ago, I, I was done playing in college. I was playing in an adult league. I'm playing with all sorts of different guys. And it is funny to play with guys who speak different languages because you're trying to explain different things. And like at, literally at one point, I remember I had a guy who was speaking Italian, a guy speaking Polish, and a guy behind me who was from Scotland and who at times I never understood what he was saying either. And we're all trying to figure this out. But I remember one time we're in this game and we're charging forward, we're trying to score a goal, we're moving around and the ball gets turned over and the other team is now coming at us. And I turn around and start running and one of the defenders yells real loud, he goes, Eric, you got a bandit on your shoulder. And I didn't know what he meant. I thought he meant that I had something on my shoulder and I stopped and went, like this and then the play keeps going and he's yelling what are you doing and he's yelling in this heavy accent and everything I said I don't I don't even know so I just start running back towards him and the ball goes out of bounds and he goes you got a bandit on your shoulder and I said I don't know what a bandit is I said a band-aid he goes a bandit and I said what's a bandit and he goes it's a player from the other team. He's on your shoulder. You got to cover him. And so, all right, all right. So anytime we would play, it could be dead silent, and I would hear this loud Scottish voice come yelling over, going, Eric, there's a bandit on you. You got to get back and cover this guy. And he would be screaming and yelling. You could hear him across all of the fields. And I loved playing with this guy because, and then I would start saying it. And so like we would be playing and I, I go, Simon, there's a bandit on you. He turned around and said, don't talk like that. And I'd say, talk like what? You're trying to talk like me. And then of course the Irishman's going, why are you talking like that? You know, and, they, and all these things. And then the guys who speak Italian are just going like this. They're just, they're just shrugging, right? No one knows. Well, this morning we're going to talk about Nehemiah chapter 4. And Nehemiah chapter 4, if Nehemiah was here, and if he was Scottish, he would say, we got bandits. Because I'm going to tell you in life, you are going to have bandits. You're going to have people who are going to cause you problems. And it is the biggest thing that Christians can do is learn how to handle adversity and learn how to handle difficult people. How many people know someone who's difficult? How many people are difficult? Well, we've been reading in Nehemiah, in Nehemiah chapter 1, God broke Nehemiah's heart for a land he had never seen and said, Nehemiah, my heart is breaking for something. He broke Nehemiah's heart. In Nehemiah chapter 2, we talked about doing it scared. Nehemiah puts together a, a prayer and a plan in his head. And he waits for King Artesy to maybe open the door a little bit. And the king opens the door and says, Nehemiah, what's going on? And Nehemiah goes, all right, Lord, here we go. And he gives it out there. And he tells the king, this is why my heart's broken. This is what I want to do. This is how I want to do it. This is what I'm going to need. This is how long it'll take. And he lays it all out to the king. Last week we talked about dipping our toes in. Nehemiah goes and he says, listen guys, we got to build this wall. And if you remember, we put that map up there. Don, I think we have that one map of Jerusalem there. And Nehemiah chapter 3 literally starts up at the sheep gate. And it goes all the way counterclockwise around, and each of those pink numbers are verses in chapter 3 where you can see where these guys were assigned 
to build. Everyone was building. Men were building. Priests were building. Women were building. Children were building. Everyone is building. All focus on one thing. But Nehemiah knows, hey, trouble is coming. I want you to know that as Christians, and I want you to hear this very, very carefully, as Christians, trouble will come about you when you don't deserve it. As Christians, trouble will come upon you when you don't deserve it. So expect it. In other words, a lot of people think, oh my gosh, things are getting tough, and I don't know, like, God, what's going on here? Maybe God's not strong enough. But look at what it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So Jesus said, when he was here, guess what? He had bondits. He had trouble. And as Christians, you're going to have trouble that you didn't cause, that it's not your fault. It's just trouble. It's just bandits. It's people who are either purposely wreaking havoc on your life or circumstances that just kind of line up in a certain way. So let's open our Bibles up to Nehemiah chapter 4. And we're going to see what Nehemiah is up to because as these bandits come upon him, I'm going to tell you this, that Nehemiah has been praying. And Nehemiah, God has told Nehemiah, hey, Nehemiah, you're going to have some bandits. And I'm going to help you deal with them. So let's look at Nehemiah chapter 4. We're going to start at verse 1. Our three for the road. Number one is, our Lord is the gap closer. Our Lord is the gap closer. So let's look at Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 1. But it so happened when Sandabalat, now we listen, we heard about this dude earlier, and we knew that he was a troublemaker. This is a bandit, right? Heard that they were rebuilding the wall, he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews, even though that he himself is a Jew. And he spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria, we're going to unpack this because there's a lot there, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that, were burnt, that are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and said, Whatever they build, even if a fox goes upon it, it will break down their stone wall. Now I want to take a second, I want to break down these two characters, because in those few verses, there's a lot of stuff going on. Sambalit we learn more about later on in Nehemiah. Sambalit is, is related to Elishab. Now does anyone remember that name Elishab? We heard it last week. Who's Elishab? Jen Schwing, I'm going to put you on the spot. Look at Nehemiah chapter 3 verse 1. Who's Elishab? The high priest. This guy who is starting all the trouble is the guy who is related to the high priest, and the high priest, Elishib, is the guy who did what first? I'm going to build. And that gate right at the very top of that map, Don, can we fire that right up there? Elishib's the guy who was rebuilding the sheep gate. And his relative is actively going against him. Here's a little side note. Don't marry non-believers. Don't marry someone who is of another religion. Now a lot of people, I've said that before, I have people say, Eric, you're kind of stepping out. No, I'm not stepping out. I'm not saying that these people aren't allowed to exist in the world, but what I'm saying is if you are unequally yoked, you are in trouble. You are going to have problems. And I look at Elishib, and at some point I would have said to him, listen, you're the high priest, I have respect for you, but dude, you should have said something about this one. Because you got a guy who is actively against your family. And you let him in. 
So let's keep going here. So then, Elishib, what, or what does Sanibal do? Sanibal goes, and listen, Sanibal can't do anything because legally Nehemiah is obeying the king. The king sent him there. The king said he could do this. So what does he do? He goes and talks to the Sumerian army and says to him, hey, do you see what's going on over here? Are you aware of this? Now, how many people have heard Samaria or Samaritan before? Okay, so when Babylon conquered Jerusalem and destroyed it before the Persians took over the Babylonians, the Jews that escaped, escaped to Samaria. And they interweaved with those people. Many of them were pagan worshipers. And many Jews deserted serving the Lord their God. Now, did all of them? No. God's bigger than that. But they went and married within the Samaritans. Now, have you seen that problem in the New Testament? Let's think about it. John chapter 4, the woman at the well. How is it that you speak to me? You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Where did that all start? Luke chapter 10, Jesus gives the story of the Good Samaritan. Do you think it irked the Jews that they would ever think that there could be possibly a Samaritan that was good? Look at, uh, now we look at Tobiah. Tobiah joins in in the mocking. Now, Tobiah means Yahweh is good. <laughs> good to his people. So this whole thing is kind of a mess. Now, let's keep going here and see what's going to happen. So when this mocking comes out, remember I told you that Sanibal and Tobiah, they can't do anything physically about it, but what they can do is run their mouth. How many people say, gosh, words, you know, sticks and stones would break my bones, but words will never hurt me? That's the biggest lie ever told. Words hurt. How many of you can't remember what you ate for breakfast yesterday, but can remember a hurtful word that was said to you years ago? Right? I can. So, what does Nehemiah do? He cries out to God, verse 4. Hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn your reproach upon their own head and give them as plunder to the land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity. Do not let their sin be blotted out from before you. For they have provoked you to anger before the builders. Nehemiah cries out to God and says, God, you know what? I'm ticked off. I hope you're ticked off at these people. Now let's make this hit home. God is the gap closer. You know, Nehemiah could easily become over, overcome or overwhelmed in a bad way. Now listen to this. Nehemiah also could waste a lot of time debating with these guys and going back and forth. We got to be careful we don't waste our time doing foolish things. But here's the interesting thing. God can close gaps and somehow he works in situations. However, we need to be wise and not do the things that we know are not right. In other words, we need to be smart about what we're doing. Will God move in situations where we make poor choices? Yes, but why would you want to make poor decisions? I can't tell you, all my years of doing youth ministry, how many kids would come up to me and they would say something like this. Pastor Eric, I wanted to talk to you about something. I'm thinking about doing this. It's probably not a good idea, but what do you think? I agree with you. What do you mean? You just said you didn't think it was a good idea. Well, I know, but I want to know what you think. You just told me you think it's not a good idea. So why would you do something that you don't think is a good idea? Well, I want to see if you think it's a good idea. But you don't think it's a good idea. So why would I convince you to do something that you don't think is a good idea? I said, do you like doing things that your parents tell you to do? He goes, no. I said, why not? He goes, well, I don't want to be told what to do. So I said, I'm not going to tell you what to do. You should do what you think is right. Now, what do you think is right? Well, not to do this. Then don't do it. It's as simple as that. We need to figure out where God wants us to be and engage in those things. And that's the key. I'm going to tell you that I applied this to my life this week. I don't want you to think, well, Eric preaches this stuff. Who knows what he thinks about really? Here's what I think about. 
Okay, God, close the gap. So this week, I had two speaking opportunities come across my desk. Now, if you were to look at these two opportunities, you would go, Eric, these are very pastoral things, and you should do them both. And so I was just about to say, all right, well, I'm going to do them both. And then all of a sudden, I felt like, well, no, wait a minute. What does God want me to do? So I stopped, and I didn't respond to either of them, and I'm sure they were thrilled. And I prayed, and God said, engage with them and see what's going on. So I engaged with both speaking opportunities. And I just kind of engaged, like, hey, what's going on? Tell me what's happening. And I'm going to tell you something. The first speaking engagement was strictly, we just want this box checked. Can you check this box for us? The second box was passion, excitement, drive, vision. Could you help us with this? Could you speak about this or this or that? And by the end of it, it was obvious that God was going, Eric, no, yes. That's what I'm telling you to do. Now, I want you to know that that doesn't mean that the one opportunity was bad. It just wasn't what God was calling me to do. And Nehemiah is very careful to make sure that he's only going to do what God wants him to do. So I'm going to be honest with you. His prayer here is a little dark, right? Lord, blot them out. Drop an atomic bomb on them. Wipe them out. All these kind of things. God sorts through those prayers. But what we need to make sure is that we're on the right hill. That we're not fighting the wrong battle in the wrong place for the wrong reasons. So God closes gaps, and he's going to meet Nehemiah in this situation. Nehemiah calls out and says, God, listen, we got a lot of bandits that are stirring up trouble. We need help. But I'm going to tell you something, that when you're doing God's work, he'll close gaps. Look at Mark 14, John 6, the feeding of the 5,000. They didn't have enough. Jesus closed the gap. Remember in Mark chapter 9 when that boy is demon-possessed and the disciples try and cast him out and they couldn't. Jesus shows up, fills the gap. Remember in Mark chapter 4 when the boat's getting swamped and it's nearly sinking. What do we do? They cry out in fear. Jesus closes the gap. When we find ourselves in gaps and find ourselves at odds with those who are dead set against us, we need to pray as Jesus did. Look at Mark chapter 26 verse 39. It says, he went a little farther, and he fell on his face, and he prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. In other words, Lord, I'm surrounded by bandits. Help me. But Lord, if you're not going to get rid of the bandits, your will be done. Your will be done. Nehemiah's prayer, and like I said, is a little bit dark, but it's real. It's real. Nehemiah's got some anger in there. And he's saying, God, just blot them out. Blot them out. And I think what God says to Nehemiah is, Nehemiah, three for the road number two. Don't let distractions blur your focus, Nehemiah. I've got something for you to do. And Nehemiah, I'm well aware of the bandits. Nehemiah, I'm well aware of these troubles. So keep your focus on me. Why did Peter sink when he was walking on the water? Because instead of looking at Jesus, whew, wind's picking up. These waves are getting higher. I'm kind of far from the boat, and I'm not quite close enough to Jesus. I'm in trouble. Let's keep going now. Verse 6. So we built the wall. And the entire wall was joined together up to half of its height, for the people had a mind to work. There is something about a group of people single pushing towards whatever it is to just get it done, right? And that's what's going on. Now it happened when Sandabal, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, the Ashadites, heard the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were, being, were beginning to close that they became very angry. Guys, there is always going to be this kind of stuff going on if you're doing anything for Christ. There's always resistance. But look what happens here. And they conspired together 
to come and attack Jerusalem and create what? Confusion. Confusion. You know one of the great things we have at our disposal is technology. You know one of the, one of the awful things that we have at disposal is technology. How many of you have ever been either mis, like, communicated or read something via text and really took it the wrong way? Or a message, or an email? Well, these guys are just trying to create confusion. And they're saying, listen, if we can get them so uptight or so wound up, we can throw their vision off. We don't need to, like, cause some huge thing. All we got to do is get them kind of fighting with each other. And because there's high priests and there's merchants and there's men and women and all sorts of different positions in society, I bet we could turn them on each other and create confusion. And then the walls, they'll come down easy enough. So look what he does. Look what Nehemiah does. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God. And because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. So Nehemiah says, hey, listen, guys, I'm well aware of what's going on. God never leads us to the edge of a cliff to push us off. He's leading, and he says, listen, arm yourself. As Christians, we need to be smart. One of the things I've always said is, God, I will do my very, very best. And God, my prayer to you is that you do your very best. And hopefully together we can figure it out. So let's see what happens. So he's got problems on the outside, now problems on the inside. Then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing, and there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. Guys, one of the most dangerous positions to be in a project is halfway. Because halfway, you can feel kind of encouraged, but then you can also feel what? Oh, we got a lot to do. And these guys are trying to rebuild this wall, which means they got to get to the foundation of the wall, and there's so much rubbish, and there's so much destruction, and there's so much that needs to happen, and guys are getting tired. You can push hard for a while, but now these guys are going, oh, I'm sore, I'm hurt, I'm tired. We got people screaming and yelling stuff at us. There's people parading around the camp that are looking like they're going to invade us. I'm out of gas. And Judah comes to Nehemiah and says, Nehemiah, the, the tank's running low here. The tank's running low. So what is Nehemiah? He's got problems on the outside. He's got problems on the inside. Verse 11, though, it says, And our adversary said, They will neither know nor see anything till we come into the midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. Now, check out, because you've got to connect this with verse 12. So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came, they told us ten times, from whatever place you turn, they will come upon us. So here's what happens. You know, Satan is always trying to sow deceit and problems. But guys, let me tell you something. God knows what's going on. And God has these Jewish people who are living in these little outskirts, who hear these plans, they come to Nehemiah and they say, hey, Nehemiah, we heard that they're thinking of attacking over there. And ten times they come to Nehemiah. Hey, we heard a tip that they're organizing over here. We heard that they might be organizing over here. And God says, hey, Nehemiah, listen to those tips. Arm yourself. Get ready. And if they show up, we'll have a surprise for them. We'll be waiting. Not only will we be waiting, we will be ready in waiting. So, says, for whatever place you turn, they will come upon us. Therefore I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall and the openings, and I set the people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and I arose to the nobles and the leaders and the rest of them and said, do not be afraid of them. And listen to what he says. He gives two great challenges. One is a spiritual challenge, one is a physical challenge. He says, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, your houses. 
boy, I'll tell you what, this feels like a scene from Braveheart, right? He says to him, guys, don't forget God. Number two, fight for your brethren, your fellow Jews. Fight for your wives. Wives, fight for your husbands. Fight for your kids. Fight for your daughters. Guard your home. We've come this far. Don't let anyone take it. And I'm going to tell you something. If I were these enemies who are attacking, I'd be less scared of the men and more scared of the women. Because I'm going to tell you something. Having coached for many, many years, mothers who think their sons are being treated poorly, look out. I would rather face a 6'5", raving, angry father yelling at me about the handling of their son in a soccer game than some 5'2 mom. Because they come across and all of a sudden all my other coaches go, eh, I gotta go. And I see these little legs kind of high-stepping across the street. Oh, here we go. Red-faced. And Nehemiah says to him, guys, listen, remember God and fight. You may have to fight. Let's make this hit home. Don't let distractions blur your focus. Satan is the god of chaos and confusion. He tries to throw everything into confusion. He wants to divide our country. He wants to divide their people by the color of their skin, their race, their creed. He wants to divide all that. He wants to divide the church. Because if the church can get really busy fighting, they're not building. He wants to, he's, he wants to create chaos and confusion. And I've told you this year, I want to be praying especially hard as we go into an election year, because guess what? Politics can blur your focus. Endless conspiracies, debates will blur your focus. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, it says, Nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification which is in the faith. Do you know what he's talking about there? Even in the Bible, you see endless genealogies. This begot this, and this begot this, and this begot this. And to some degree, that's important. But what they're trying to do is these modern-day Jews would go, well, listen, I'm related through this line to this, 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 and that's why I'm better than you. And that's why I should be this and this and that. And we debate all these things endlessly, endlessly, endlessly. We just go over and over and over and all these things. I was laughing with a friend of mine last night that there have been literally hundreds of millions of dollars invested in trying to find Amelia Earhart's airplane. And they actually believe that they found it. It just came out this week on the news and they show these sonar things and everything. It is down in the, in the Pacific, it's deeper than where the Titanic is. I mean, it's over two miles down. And they're going to send submarines down to possibly see if they can identify this thing or possibly bring it to the surface. Guys, millions and millions of dollars. We're not going to invest in that, by the way. But I will tell you what we do. We don't want things to blur our focus. So I'm going to tell you something, and I've said this before, I'm very proud of this church. As a church, we tithe over 20% of everything that comes in goes out to missions to serve. So a few, what, a month or so ago, Tucker Rocky was up here with Painting Freedom, did his painting, talked about his ministry. Last summer, Tucker went with Pastor Steve Smickley and some friends of mine, they did a VBS for kids in a remote village in Tanzania. They were able, now you want to talk about life changing, they were able to bring the gospel and while they were there, they were able to install a, wall, a well so that they can get fresh water in this village. And Pastor Steve sent me the funniest thing. He goes, Eric, they actually now provide a water delivery service. And it's a guy with a wagon and these big things that they carry uh, water in with two donkeys and they deliver it around the village. Fresh water. You give them the gospel, you give them a drink. You give them a gospel, they can wash themselves, they can plant crops, they can do these things. Don't let things blur your vision. And so often we get worried about what could possibly go wrong or what's against us that we miss who's for us. And we start living in defeat. 
1 Peter 3.15 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. We should be ready to give a reason. Can you give a reason? When David visited his brothers outside the Valley of Allah, and they hear about Goliath and everything, David goes, well, isn't somebody going to fight him? And no one will fight him. And David says, is there not a cause? Why do you believe? If somebody came up to you and said, listen, you're going to die in the next five minutes. Tell me what you believe. What are you going to say? And the reality is, we're not even guaranteed the next minute, let alone the next five minutes. Be ready to give a reason. Don't get blurred. Don't, get, don't miss what God's trying to do. And Nehemiah's got problems on the inside. He's got problems on the outside. And God's going, keep your eyes on me. Jesus didn't say to the disciples, hey, listen, you guys figure it out. Reach the world. No. He said, come follow me. I'll show you how to do it. And then when I'm no longer here, I got something special I'll send you. All right, let's finish this up. Three from the road, number three. Don't give up on God or on his moving moving in people. Don't give up on God or on his moving in people. Let's look at verse 15. And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known us that God had brought their plot to nothing that all of us returned to the wall, everyone knew his work. See, God will fight battles. Remember in uh, 2 Chronicles 20, Jehoshaphat is going out against a huge army, and he doesn't think he can do it. And God says, I'll go. I'll go. And when Jehoshaphat and his army gets there, what do they find? The enemy's all dead. And God says, just plunder. Take all the goods. In 2 Chronicles 20, 29, 30, it says, And the fear of God was on all the kingdoms of all the countries when, when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. Then the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for God had gave him rest all around. Doesn't that sound beautiful? God gave him rest all around. God wants to give us rest all around. God wants to quiet the enemies. God wants to shut the lion's mouths. God wants to vanquish the flames. God wants to give you rest. He says to Nehemiah, listen, be vigilant, but Nehemiah, I will not forsake you. I'm in this with you. Verse 16, so it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction while the other half held the spears, the shields, the bows, the whole and wore armor. The leaders were behind the house of Judah. Those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that one hand they worked construction and the other hand they had a weapon. It's not convenient. It's not easy. I remember one time listening to an evangelist talk about, he said it would be like if you got on an airplane and somebody said, hey, listen, Rob, you're getting on this airplane. You've got to put this big parachute on. And he goes walking down the aisle and he's bumping people going down the aisle because it's this big bulky parachute. And people go, look at that fool. He's wearing a parachute. Well, it looks like a fool until all of a sudden the door opens on the plane and you're way up in the air and somebody goes, you got to jump. All of a sudden, now you look like the smartest guy. God says, listen, we're going through this. You got to be prepared, though. I'll do my best. Nehemiah, you do your best. Those who built on the wall, those who carried burdens, loaded themselves so that they had one hand, they worked construction. The other hand, they held a weapon. Every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built And the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. What's the trumpet? The trumpet means we got bandits. That's what the trumpet means. Then I said to the nobles, the rulers, and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive, and we are separated far from one another in the wall. Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So we labored in the work. Half of the men held their spears 
uh, from daybreak until the stars appeared. At the same time, I said to the people, let each man and his servants stay at night in Jerusalem, and they may be on guard by night and, and a working party by day. So neither I, my brethren, my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me took off our clothes except that everyone took them off for washing, which is good because we need to clean up every now and then. You know, here's an interesting thing about trumpets, right? Trumpets are a rally call in battle. Do you know that lions do, when they want to signal to everyone, lions don't roar to signal to other lions. They roar to intimidate everybody out there. But when they want to call to their own, they do this thing and it's just like, uh, 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 uh. And if a lion is in distress, like perhaps a lion is out hunting and he gets surrounded by too many hyenas, he'll start making that noise and he'll start doing it over and over and they actually will show these documentaries where when these lions start doing these things and they start making this low grunt that hyenas everything starts to run because what does it mean it means they're coming they're coming and so they'll show these young lions and they're out there and they're grunting and groaning and grunting and groaning. And then all of a sudden you see Tron, and here comes one, here comes his other brother, here comes another brother, here comes his sister, and here comes the rest of the pride. And one of the things they said, and it's very, very interesting, they said that young lions will go out and if they get attacked by hyenas, hyenas will be very careful because there's always the biggest lion out there. And they said, it, it, they, they actually, I watched this one thing, and they showed this young lion, and he's calling out, calling out, calling out. And I am telling you, this lion looked big, and out of the brush came this lion. It was the biggest lion I have ever seen in my life. And the guy's way off in this, in this Jeep looking out, and he goes, and the, the guy who's with him is a native, and he spoke a different language. He says this, and the, he points, and he says something. And the guy goes, what did he just say? He goes, that's the hyena killer. When the bandits come, we have to rally together. But remember, as they said in Narnia, Aslan is on the move, and he's out there. And when he hears his people cry out, he starts trotting. Let's finish this up. Let's make it at home. Don't give up on God or on his moving in people. These are the two biggest lies that Satan keeps telling me. Eric, he's done with you. You've served your purpose and that's it. But God goes, no, Eric. When you're done serving your purpose here, Eric, you'll be with me. So if you're here, it means I'm still moving in you. Number two, Eric, I'm not done in people. I'm not done with this world. I've got things I want to do. I said Wednesday we had our sermon side. I was talking about this idea that there's a lot of Christians who I think have a spiritual flat tire. They're on the sidelines of life. And I'm going to tell you that I think they're on the sidelines of life for three reasons. The first reason is, yes, our Lord is the gap closer, but a lot of these people are not keeping focus on what God wants them to keep focus on. And they're on focus on the things that they want to be focused on. And the gaps there keep getting wider and the spiritual pulse starts getting lower. And they blame God, but God's going, I'm not doing that, I'm doing this. Why are you over here? That spiritual blur can consume them. And they miss out on what God's doing. And then finally, don't give up on God or is moving in his people. Spiritual flat tires will cause you to think that God's movement in your life ended maybe when you were a teenager. And that's not true. God's not done. I told you guys a few weeks ago I did a funeral uh, for Lee's mom. And afterwards, I met this man, and I was in front of the room, and somebody came to me and said, there is a man who really wants to talk to you. So I went back, very, very elderly man. And I had to kind of get that he couldn't stand. He was in a wheelchair. I got down next to him, and I said, uh, he goes, I, I wanted to just talk to you for a minute. So we started talking. He was a strong believer. And he was German. And I said, were you born in Germany, or did you come here? Now, this is what I want to talk about, like having fortitude for Christ. I want you to listen to this story. The guy goes, no, I, I was born in America. And, I, and he said, um, 
my parents came from Germany. I said, oh, well, what's their story? Now listen to this story. He goes, well, my father uh, served in World War I. And he said, uh, when I came, he said, my father served in World War I. He goes, after World War I, he goes, Germany was a mess. Of course, Germany would be a mess again soon thereafter. But he said, kids those days, and his dad was a kid. Like, these were kids like 18 years old fighting in major wars, right? He said, my dad, they used to do these dances at these dance hall where guys and girls could go to meet one another. And he said, literally, you'd pay a couple of cents, and you would go, and they would have music, and you would go and meet. And he goes, it's really different, because literally, you would go there and go, hey, are you interested in getting married? And he goes, that's how, like, couples were formed right there. He said, my dad met this girl and fell in love with her. The girl said, listen, I want you to know that um, I was married before, and my husband died in a shipwreck. This girl was, like, 20 years old. She goes, and I have a son. And the guy said, he, he, he said, my father was so in love, he said, I'll marry you. But now listen to this. He said, I don't think we have a future here in this country. So he goes, before I marry her, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to America. He doesn't speak English, doesn't know anyone in this country. I'm going to go to America, and I'm going to get a job, and I'm going to save money, and I'm going to send the money back to you. And you come to America with your son, and when we get there, we'll get married, and we'll have a family, and we'll live in America. Now, he leaves, and here's what he says. He says, so they talked with one another, and she said, I'll do this. And he said, they both kind of said, we promise to do exactly what we just said we'll do. So he comes to America, doesn't speak English, figures out, gets a job, gets a place to live, sends her back money, she comes on a steamer with a baby boy, gets off there, they get married, start a family. Two German immigrants starting a family in America in the late 1920s. What do you think it was like being a German coming to America at that time period with everything revving up, right? But my point is, as he said, pastor, in all of this, they believed that this is what God wanted for them. And despite how hard it was, they were going to make it happen. So he said, at first, it was hard for them to be apart. And then they were together, and it was hard to be in America. But we were going to stay. He goes, plus they didn't have the money to go back. So they were just going to stay. And he said, and then when we were, they were staying here, like, then I was born, and they had more kids, and then he said, he goes, and then there was like this Great Depression. I'm like, yeah, I've heard about that. He said, lived through that, and all these different things. And he said, some people really hated us because we were German, and then some people were okay, but we figured it out because we believed what God said for us to do. And I'm going to tell you something. There's a reason why they're called the greatest generation. Because I'm going to tell you something. I looked at this guy, and I thought, you know what? You are a Nehemiah. You are a Nehemiah. Because you built something because you believed God told your family to do this, and you came, and he said, and so I was born, and my parents raised us, and raised me, and my brother, and my sister, and we're believers, and then we went out, and we ministered, and we married this, and this, and that, and we do ministry, we did all these things, and now I'm near the end of my life. And I thought, wow. You didn't build a wall, you built a legacy. And that's what I want for you. But I see so many Christians with those flat tires, and they're just stuck. And they don't realize that the gaps they want filled, God's filling over here. He's trying to get you to focus over here. And we don't realize that God's still moving in people. And sometimes we see people and we go, why can't God move in me like they move in that guy or that girl? But he wants to move. But we got to be ready. Nehemiah was ready. I don't know how old Nehemiah was when this whole thing started, but I know that Nehemiah loved God. And he loved him for years before God tapped him and said, all right, Nehemiah, let's go do something. Well, what? Is it going to be exciting? It's going to be exciting. It's going to be an adventure. We're going to write a book about it. 
Let's stand up. The worship team's going to come up. I'm going to close this in a word of prayer. When we're done, guys who are going to help move tables, you can meet Kenny up he, over here. If you are interested in finding out more about the women's conference, please talk to my wife back there. Pam, raise your hands in the air, swinging around. Isn't she pretty in pink? They should write a song about that. Rob, work on that. It'll catch. I have faith. You can talk to my wife about it. If you have questions about uh, a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you're someone in this room who will talk to somebody about having a relationship with Jesus Christ, raise your hand. Look at that. You've got me and Ed and Pam. You can talk to them. There are people in this room who care. They'll talk to you about Jesus Christ. If you're on the sidelines of life because of a flat tire, talk with someone. Maybe we can get you moving again. Help you out. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for this time. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to be here. Lord, I thank you for the courage that was shown to us by younger Christians years ago, Lord, who lived and just all I can think of is this young woman with a baby, a toddler, getting on a steamer, leaving everyone and everything she knows because she believed God wanted her to do something. And Lord, I don't even know that woman's name, but I wonder, would I have that courage? Would I have that faith? Would I have that fortitude? Lord, people want you to move. People want you to use them, Lord. But sometimes I think you look at us and go, you are not usable. Lord, make us into your people. Guide us, Lord. Give us focus. Don't let us get distracted by the foolishness of this world. The world would say, focus on this, focus on this. The world would say, you got problems inside the church, you got problems outside the church. But you say, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full into his wonderful face, and the things of earth will what? Grow strangely dim. Lord, we need to turn the lights up on you and turn the lights down on everything else. Lord, may we be a people, Lord, who would pursue you with reckless abandonment to the same level that the world pursues foolishness. So God, we thank you for this time. In Jesus' powerful name, we pray. Aslan is on the move, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.